Well, I'd encourage you to take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're just moving through this little passage, um, creation account. Uh, Slowly, uh, but surely, methodically, we want to, uh, as we learned in Sunday school today, we want to observe all that's there. And it is a process of observation. We want to get every nourishment, every nutrient that we can out of God's precious word. Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to start again at the beginning. We'll read down to verse 8. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the water. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water, and let that, let it expand. It separate the waters from the waters. God made an expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for again for your precious word. Uh, What a joy it is for us to come and just glean from its truths. Things that will energize us, things that will cause us to be better worshipers of you. I pray that that would be the case today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the sermon today really should be God's goodness displayed, God's goodness on display. So you take your bulletin and where it says the the title there, it's God's power on display. It should say God's goodness on display. All of creation is about God's goodness. All of creation is about God's power. But as Romans chapter 1 reminds us that His invisible attributes are seen in what he has made. I I want to pull out all of those attributes. And so we looked last week with uh, about the power of God, how he speaks things into existence. But I want to move in the next really couple of days or a couple of Sundays. We talk about God's goodness, his goodness. And you'll see that in the passage here. And it raises a question. How do we determine goodness? How do we determine what is good? Now, we're pretty shallow people. We we really are. Uh, Most of the time we we, we determine what is good based upon how it makes us feel, right? We go into a restaurant. uh, The food is good. They take care of us. They wait on us. uh, We're comfortable there. They make us feel good. We say, that's a good restaurant. Ice cream makes me feel good. It's creamy. It tastes good. 
a good steak, it, it's, it tastes good, a good conversation or a good friend. But those are, those are shallow because they're based upon the senses, based upon the senses, the, the eye. It's pleasing to the eye or the taste buds or the, the fingertips or, or maybe the full stomach that just feels good. Or, or maybe the emotions, you wake up on the right side of the bed and have good emotions. Or, or the conscious, maybe you've done good and, and your conscious is patting you on the back and say, good boy. Right? Now we know that we can't always trust our feelings. We can't trust our, our senses to determine what is good. We can't really determine good on that basis. Because there are, there's poisons out there that taste good. Because, because our fingertips, we, we look at that lion and, or that big grizzly bear and say, man, I want to pet that thing. Come here, kitty, kitty, right? No, that will kill you. It's not good. Or that stomach wants to be full. And so we just eat all this junk food and it's, and it's not good. Or those emotions that feel so right, but those emotions lead to bitterness and anger and many times unrighteous anger. And then you have your conscience. You can't really even trust your conscience all the time because the conscience can be seared. It can be hardened. There can be a weak conscience or an underdeveloped conscience. Or the conscience can be deceived. We'll see. That's what happened to Eve. And then you say, well, you could trust your eye. Well, you can't really always trust your eyes, can you? Because there's always your, your neighbor's car, your neighbor's house, or your neighbor's wife. And we are not to covet those. We're not to, you're not to follow that eye gate. Now, God determines what is good based upon His own wisdom. Not upon His feelings, not upon His senses. He determines based upon function based upon his own wisdom, based upon his purpose, as well as being pleasing. It's functional. It's right. And it's and it's in harmony with his his attribute. It's good because God says it's good and it comes from his goodness, his very attributes. He is a good God. Now, I want us I want us to see this. There are several verses that I want to point out to you because this is an important thing. We need to see the goodness of God. Nate prayed about that. It, it just, the, just the goodness of God. It leads, Romans 2.4, it leads to repentance. We look at His goodness and His grace and we say we're undeserving. Let me show you some of the, what the Bible says about God's goodness. Psalm chapter 25, verse 8. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, He instructs sinners in the way. So He is taking His goodness and transferring it and instructing sinners. And He's saying, now this is good. This is the path that you go on. This is the good path because it's coming from God. God's wisdom, God's purpose, God's function. And this is good. Psalm 31, verse 19. How great is your goodness which you have stored up for those who fear you. 
Wow, I like that. He stores up goodness and, and He delivers that goodness. He is a good God. Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see. The, the psalmist is encouraging us to, to partake of God's goodness and, and to see it and enjoy it. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. That's a wonderful thing for us to, we're talking in Sunday school, to transfer our, to our children, not just the conviction, but the, the appetite for, and the delight in the goodness of God, that, that He is a God to, to be praised. He is a good God. Psalm chapter 107 and verse 8. <clears throat> Let them give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness and for his wonders in the, uh, to the sons of men. And then this passage that was read, or that was quoted earlier. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his, should be goodnesses, it's kindness. His goodness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of the Lord, the goodnesses of the Lord... Lead to repentance. He is good and there's, there's a, a danger of us minimizing His goodness. Of not seeing His goodness as we should. Not seeing the riches of His goodness as we should. There's a danger there. God's understanding of goodness is, is, is flawless. And it stems from who He is. And He's built that into His creation. His very nature is built into the creation. So it's, it's good. And He determines what is good. Now it's important for us to understand this. Listen. If you do not think that God is good, and there's a lot of people out there that are kind of blaming God and talking bad about God. If you do not believe that God is good, you are worshiping the wrong God. Because God is good. The God of the Bible is good. If you are worshiping any other God, you're worshiping an idol. That is not the right God. That's idolatry. And our understanding of good, folks, is flawed. It, it has, we have our own biases. We have our own um, selfish ambitions. Our un unfairness to our goodness. And our goodness is, it can be twisted. Now let me show you this. You need to understand this. Just, just turn over a couple of pages. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent comes to Eve in the garden. And you know, he's tempting Eve. And uh, the woman says to him, verse 2, says to the serpent from the fruit of the tree of the garden, we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God says, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. She got the message. She understood how important this was. The serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day in which you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God's knowing what? Good from evil, good and evil. You'll be able to discern. Oh, here's here. Just do this, and and it will escalate you up to to God-like status. 
For God knows that. He's holding back good from you. And if you take this step, then, then you can achieve this level of goodness and, and you'll understand, you'll discern good and evil. Look at verse 6. When the woman saw, look at that, with her eye, she saw that the tree was good for food. Well, yeah, you, you know what? You're right. Well, this is good for food. It would be very easy to, to take, very easy to eat. It, it, it goes on to say, and that it was a delight to her eyes. Well, yeah. When Satan does that to us, doesn't he? He deceives us so that our understanding of good, our understanding of good is, is twisted. Sin, it looks appetizing. It looks a, a delight to our eyes. It looks good. And that the tree was desirable even to make one wise. She took it and ate. We cannot trust our own senses. We cannot trust our own judgment of what is good and what is evil. We have to be very careful. We, we look to God for those kinds of things. Because His is flawless. Let me show you another example in Joseph, <clears throat> Joseph's life. In Genesis chapter 50, in verse 19 and 20, says this. But Joseph, now remember Joseph went through a whole lot of stuff because his... Henri brothers sold him into slavery and he went down to Egypt and it was a, just a horrible life. And by this time in, in his life, he, he was older and he could be very bitter, but he was not. Joseph said to his brothers, talking to his brothers, he says, Do not be afraid for I am, for am I in God's place? As for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And we would look at Joseph's life and would say, that's terrible. It was not good. And Joseph said, no. No, look where I am. Look where I wound up. God meant it for good. God saw this. Hey, this is a good thing for Joseph to go through. And his brothers, well, they just meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Sometimes what we think is evil, God says, no, that's good. That's necessary for you. Here's what I'm going to do. And you say, no, God, that's evil. And, and God says, no, that's the very thing that you need. And we have to be very careful. And we have to be with James. Like James says, we consider all joy when we enter various trials. In Joseph's lives, it just points out that, that our understanding of good is to be challenged. We have to run it by God. We have to go to, before God and, and say, God, I trust you that you are a good God and you're bringing this good into my life. And it's a matter of faith because God is a good God. Now, here's the problem. Here's the danger that I see today. We see a, a world that's kind of in the third, fourth, fifth stage of, of judgment, under God's judgment. And the last stage of that judgment is that he gives them over to a depraved mind. That means that they cannot determine right from wrong. They can't determine, they can't even know right from wrong. They can't know good from evil. They, they don't even know that. They can't even judge that. And, and the problem is, is that the church so easily just goes along with the world. And we get sucked right, right into the world's kind of thinking, the way the world thinks. And we have to have discernment. And today I think the church, many churches have very little discernment because they, 
have very little knowledge, true knowledge of this word. And they, they are being confused. And I think there's, there's confusion of what is good today. And I think one of the things that add to that confusion is this whole evolution, uh, this whole uh, this theory of evolution. I believe that contributes to our understanding of good. Good, through the lens of evolution, is, is based upon its trial and error. It's based upon necessity. We're going to try this until, it, until it, we make it work. It may take several generations, but we're going to... Make it work. So evolution would say that that fish, he tried to crawl on land. and That didn't work the first generation, but the second generation, eh, it kind of stayed a little longer. The third generation stayed a little longer. Fourth generation. And eventually he was able to develop lungs out of necessity of being on land. Eventually he developed feet and legs out of necessity of being on land. And then he developed, somehow he developed a mind and a conscience. And you say, well, that's, that's impossible. Really, you're right. It, it's impossible. And how, how does that even work? I don't know, but evolution, folks, is robbing God of His glory. It, it's not pointing to the... Creation's not pointing to the goodness of God and how great He is. It's pointing to, man, we just need to just keep trying. Just keep going in this direction. Just keep doing the same thing. And we will evolve because we know, we all know we're just evolving, Right? Foolish. Foolish. That's not where we get our sense of good. God determines what is good. God says, this is good. This is the path that we are to go go down. We look at His creation. We say, this is good. This, 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 is, this is coming from a, a good God, not from just pragmatism, years of trial and error and death and decay. But God can be trusted to determine what is good. Now, I believe this is part of, part of what uh, Paul is, is saying to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'll just read this little verse. And I, I think... I think if we, the church, buys into any kind of evolutionary thinking, any kind of evolutionary thinking, you're going to rob God of His glory. You're not going to praise God for, or be thankful to God for His goodness in creation. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 4. Everything created by God is good. Because it comes from a good God. It's good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude. Now that's the problem, isn't it? That's Romans chapter 1. They're rejecting God. They're, no, they're not thankful to God. They're not honoring God at all. And, and that's, that's the problem. And evolution just, just feeds right into that. So God didn't do that. No man in his trial and error, man in his effort. Man did that. And we just got to keep working and progressing and, and we'll, we'll develop and that robs God of His glory. Because we don't see a good God. We just see a passive God. Oh, He got everything started. And this whole create, this whole evolution thing just kind of took over. It deserves the praise. It deserves the credit. God's just kind of passive up there. The Bible says that God is a good God. And we need to develop our understanding of what is good from God. Not trusting our own understanding. Um, that's all that is, is just 
renewing our mind, isn't it? We have to think like God thinks. We have to love what God loves and hate what God hates. We have to develop the mind of of Christ, or we have the mind of Christ that needs to develop in us. Now, we were looking at this account, the biblical account of creation. And we see God's goodness on display. That He is a good God. And we see that. And it is... This biblical creation, this biblical account of creation is not not trying to develop the scientific explanation of everything. We would like for it to in our scientific age. It's not a play-by-play. It's not going to answer all of our scientific questions. But God's not intended to do that. But it is a comprehensive Understanding of creation because it gives us both the physical elements of creation and and also the the spiritual elements of creation that God did it. And it's from the whole spiritual realm. And God is not trying to produce scientists. He's not trying to produce astronomers and astrologers and geologists. He's producing worshipers. He's wanting people to worship him. And, And part of that is looking and seeing the goodness of God. And that's what we need to do. We go to Grandview, pull up to the overlook there, and we look out and we think, wow, that's amazing. God is incredible. We go south on 77, we cross the hill, uh, the crest of the hill, and you look out and you just think, wow, God is amazing. What a good God. Folks, God's glory is being robbed by Understanding of evolution. It just is. For the believer though. For the believer we see God's creation. And we say thank you Lord. You're such a good God. You're such a benevolent God. And it stimulates us for worship. And that's what Paul has in mind here. That's what we, we do. We see that goodness of God. We see that. And we worship Him. And so the creation account I believe. I believe is is to give us or to point us to God so that we worship God. Now, so the question that we've been asking, the question that we've been asking is, what did what did God do on those first few days, those first few days of creation, and and how did God go about doing His work? And what we've seen is is a pattern. Last week we begin to see this pattern, uh, and then this week we'll see it even more. And the pattern is, we'll see it on the screen there, that God, there's, there's seven phrases that God uses that are consistent throughout each of the, the week days, the days of the week of creation. And he said, uh, the first phrase is, and God said, he created, he called things into existence. Out of nothing, he created. Ex nihil, out of nothing. And then number two, we see the phrase, and it was so. Whatever he creates, whatever he brings into existence, it obeys. We see absolute authority there, all power there. He can bring things into existence and that there's obedience there. And then we see the phrase, and God. Sometimes it's phrased a little bit different, but we see action. We see God at work. He's manipulating what he has created until it's just right, until it's perfect, until it's good. And then... We see him evaluating that good, and he and we see the phrase, and God saw that it was good. He evaluates his creation, says, yeah, that's exactly what I want, and it's good. It's good. And then we see evening and morning. It starts at the end of the work day. God 
takes a break evening and then the next morning that's a full uh, day and the next morning we start a new day work day and God takes a break and then the seventh point that is made here is that the, he numbers the day and we had the day one last week and day one says that we we see God's power in creation when God created light created light but also don't forget this that God in creating light he also created the day one day is what it says he established the day is that rotation of the earth was going on that light would shine and one rotation evening and morning and that was another day now that's day one and this uh in this next two days of creation we want to see the goodness of god but now here's what makes this interesting is that if you notice verse six through eight god doesn't evaluate his creation he doesn't say, and it was good. You didn't see that. Now, it's, it's the pattern on every other day there. But he doesn't say that, and it's left out here. And you think, well, why was it left out? Most commentaries say, well, he left it out because he didn't actually create anything in that day. He didn't call anything into existence on that day. He just manipulated the tools that, or the, uh, the things that he had already created earlier. And that's a, that's exactly that's a pretty good explanation here, because he has all of the building blocks of of life, and now he's manipulating those. He is building a, a, a an environment, and that's the second point here. In fact, we'll we'll see we'll see God's goodness in in two ways. We'll see God's goodness in that he was his careful preparation, and we see his goodness in his. Generous provision. We'll see that in the next couple of Sundays. And here's the the next day. Here's day two. That we will see God's goodness in His careful preparation of human life. Now this is wonderful. Let's go to our passage and look at verse 6. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the water and let it separate the water from the waters. Now, what's going on? Well, remember, all we have right now is light. That light is emanating, probably emanating from God's glory. The sun hasn't been made. The light is coming from His glory. And we have we have this uh, sphere uh, that is just covered with water. Or it's a, uh, yeah, a sphere that's covered with water. And, um, and God says, now, I want an expanse here. So the water's setting up above the earth, or it's, it's on the earth, and it's, it's pretty thick on the earth. And he says, I want to split right through the middle, and I want to create an expanse between the waters on the earth, and I want some waters up here. And he's creating an expanse is what it's called. Now, that can be a difficult term. You might have, there's different translations. Some translate it a vault or space, or a distance, a firmament, I think the old uh, the uh, King James says. It's, it's some like a great dome. Um, it, it simply means heavens. In fact, that's what God labels it. And we have to interpret this passage not from our scientific 
uh, mind of, of our day where God is trying to uh, define the whole of his universe. No, it's from man's perspective. Man's perspective is that he just looks up and that's what he sees. He sees the heavens. He sees an expanse. And this expanse is uh, would encompass... The birds, that would be the first layer where the birds are flying. Now, the birds haven't been created at this point. But, but you would see that. That would be one aspect. The, the second aspect of heavens would be the, the moon and the sun and then the stars. <clears throat> you would see all of that. And then the third aspect of heaven would be where God lies, where God is, where he stays. In fact, the Bible says the, the, the earth is just his footstool. It's kind of nothing because he is way beyond that. And God is creating here a canopy around the earth and, and space between water up, the, uh, up in the atmosphere, we would call it, and water here on earth. There's a, a canopy there. Um, it would have been water and co- still covering the earth, but also water that would be in the outer earth, the outer atmosphere or the atmosphere. And there would be an expanse there. And that would have created a greenhouse effect. Um, it would have kept a, a global temperature. That would have been really nice. Now, I'd love to have seen this. Because just remember now, you have light. Light's emanating from God, His glory. But then you also have, you have this water. And this water's separating. What do you do when you just see the mist of the water? You just see beautiful colors coming through that. And, and that would have been the scene when that water is just separating. And, and it would have been a beautiful sight to behold. And it would have been a probably, well, let me read. There's uh, one commentary that said this. This could possibly be, um, put, uh, have been a, a canopy of water vapors which acted to make the earth like a hot house, providing, unif- uh, providing uniform temperature. It would... Uh, inhibit the the massive air movement uh, on the more of the upper atmosphere. It would have inhibited that. It would have caused a mist to fall. He goes on to say that it would also filter the ultraviolet rays, and and that would extend life. Now, when we look at the early records, these those guys they lived. Adam lived nine hundred years. It's a long time. And most of those guys, they were living a long time. And it was probably, and uh, creation scientists would point to this and say, yeah, the, the ultraviolet rays would have been blocked. There would have been a healthy, a good, healthy environment there. Now that stayed, that canopy stayed until what happened? We see in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, we see, we see this. Genesis chapter 11, or 7, verse 11 says, In the 60, 600 years of Noah's life, in the second month of the 17th day of the month, on the same day, all the foundations of the deep burst open, and the floodgates of the sky were opened up. So this canopy, this beautiful display of, of water that's that's pretty probably pretty thick above the the earth here it's protecting the earth just burst open and all that water is back down here on earth and God completely floods the world floods his globe with that 
And then after that, what you see is that the lifespan drastically changes. The people only live in 120 years, not 800, 900 years anymore. And you see a drastic change there because of, of God's judgment upon the earth. And so God, for this time, God is carving out, he's carving out a space for life. Now, this is important. This is where the goodness of God is seen. Because God knows. God anticipates. Here's what life is going to need. And it's going to need water. And it's going to need this water canopy. It's going to need some kind of uh, evaporation system. And it's, and it's, uh, it's necessary. And, and that's exactly what we see. 71% of the earth is covered with water. It's, it's necessary for life. Water is composed of a couple of elements, basic elements, hydrogen and oxygen. We know that. Uh, water can be a, a gas. It can be a liquid. It can be a solid. It's, um, it's tasteless and odorless. There's a whole lot we can say about water. There's a couple of functions, though. We have to have water because water dissolves things. It helps to dissolve food so that it can be digested. It could be absorbed into the bloodstream. It passes the blood through the bloodstream so that we grow. It, it helps us with medication. It breaks down the medication and go into our bloodstream. In fact, the, the whole body is made up uh, 65 to 70 percent of, wa- of our bodies are, are water, depending on your age and your height and your weight. 73 percent of the brain is water. 80, uh, uh, the heart is 73% as well. The lungs, 90% uh, is water. The kidneys, 82%. Even our bones are 22% to sometimes 30% water. That's amazing. The, the body, the human body is designed for, for taking in water and the necessity of water. And we know that when we get dehydrated, don't we? Because that could just wreak havoc on our bodies. We can't live without water for more than five or six days, four or five days. Vegetation, of course, needs water as well. One thing that's fascinating about water, I thought, just in just doing some research, and there's so much more to be said <clears throat> to see the glory of God in water. One of the things that was, uh, I thought was interesting, water, when it solidifies, when it hardens into ice, it floats. Most of the other chemicals, or most of the other elements, when it solidifies, it will fall, it will drop. But water, it floats. And why is that important? Because when in the winter time, if water would freeze and it would freeze the top of the lake, then if it would freeze and then fall, and it would freeze and then fall, it would just keep doing that. The ponds and the lakes and the rivers and even the ocean would just fill up with just ice and would just essentially, eventually freeze over and kill all, all water life. That's amazing. God built that with His wisdom into, into His creation, into water to be able to do that. That's God. That is not evolution. And God is good for allowing us to have that. Scripture tells us a lot about water. God flooded the earth with water. God caused, and he's in control of water. It really is amazing. He can flood the earth, 
But water is necessary for cleaning, for washing. God causes water to come out of a rock. God allows the uh, rain to come down on the righteous as well as the unrighteous. He turned water into wine. He turned water into blood. He, uh, he explained to us the hydrological cycle. I mean, it's in, in uh, I think, Job and Ecclesiastic. They talk about this hydrological cycle where water evaporates and it comes back down in rain. Um, he uh, withholds water and creates a drought. God is... In control of what? He also gave us a covenant that says that he will not destroy the world with water again. Let me give you one verse, though. I'll leave you with John chapter 4. Because water in Scripture is used as a metaphor as well of, of that which is good and that which is necessary for the body. But Roman, John chapter 4, and I want to read this passage to us. This is in the context of Jesus approaches this woman at the well, and Jesus said, hey, could you give me a drink? And the woman says, why? Why are you asking me? You being a man, I'm a woman. It's not done, but Christ does this. And it brings up this conversation about water. In John chapter 4 and verse 10, we see Jesus answered, said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was said to you, give me a drink, you would want you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, water's a good example here because we need water, right? It's essential for physical birth. And, and Jesus said there's a, there's a spiritual water as well. And it's just as essential for spiritual birth and spiritual growth and spiritual life. And she said to him probably kind of blowing him off a little bit. She said, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is as deep. Where then do you get this water, this living water? You have you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. He's kind of chiding Jesus, who do you who do you think you are, buddy? And Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of the water, of this water, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become like a well of water springing up for eternal life. And the woman says, Give me that water. Give me that water. Christ himself is that water. The gospel is that water. That's the good news of the gospel. We receive that water. We take that water in and it, and it produces a, a spiritual life there. It produces growth. It produces eventually eternal life within us. Just a perpetual spiritual life that never ends. But it starts with Christ. And that's a good analogy, folks. That Christ, Christ is that water. Christ has the words of eternal life. We have to go to Him. We have to put our faith and trust in Him. We have to repent of our sins and turn to Him. That water is only from Him. And it's essential for our life. It's essential for our life. We cannot do without Christ. 
cannot do without Christ. Folks, we don't even know up from down without Christ. We don't even know good from evil. We don't even know right from wrong. We're, we're confused about those things in our world today. And we have a message to the world. Come to Christ. He is the living water. That's our message. He is a good God. You can trust Him. Just look at the creation that we have around us. He is, he is one that prepares for man, and, and He does so in a meticulous way, in a very careful way, to provide all that man needs. And we say, He has the water of, of life. God in creating water, and creating this expanse, and creating this world which life can breed, and life can exist, and, and His image bearers can thrive. He tells us this so that He produces worshippers. And so that every time we look at this expanse, every time we look at the water and, and need that water, we see the power of God to create this water. And then we see the goodness of God. And then we think of Christ, how good God is to send us Christ. And, and I also have to just bring this to bear. And what did Christ say? And I just Christ said, I go to prepare a place for you. Just like God prepared a place for us. He's preparing a, a place for life to exist. Christ is somewhere preparing a place for us. Our living water is somewhere preparing a, a place for us. An eternal place. We have to appropriate that. Let me show you a couple of verses. We'll end with this. In Romans chapter 12, verse that you know well. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. It comes from the mind of Christ. We need to transform our mind. We need to be renewing our mind to think like Christ so that we can determine what is good. That only comes through Christ. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 14, another verse, says this, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Folks, we, we've got to be those who, who, can, who can discern right from wrong. Who can discern good from evil. Who can say, I serve a good God. I don't care what kind of picture you're trying to paint of Him as being an evil God. Or uh, an enslaving God. Or a mean God. He is not. He is a good God. And let me show you the proof. And we go to creation. We go to the Word of God. And we say, He is good. We serve a, a good God, folks. Let me close with one last verse. And that's from Psalm chapter 33, verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6 through 12. It's a wonderful passage. This kind of sums up this, this little passage for us. But the word of the Lord, Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of His mouth, all their host. He gathers the water of the sea together in, in a heap. He lays out the deeps 
in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe. Folks, that's what's not happening. They're giving God's glory to someone else. And so the robbing of God's glory is, is they're not fearing God. They're not looking at, at the inhabitation and standing in awe of Him. They're not doing that. For He spoke and it was done. Spoke and it was done. Not evolution. He commanded and it stood fast. And the Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He nullifies. He, he's the one that determines things. He frustrates the plans of people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people who has chosen for His own inheritance. Wow. What does our nation need? Not politics. Our nation needs to come to God. Our nation needs to see God in His glory. Needs to appreciate God for what He's done. Needs to see God even crucifying His own Son for man. We need to see Christ, the living water. We've got the message, folks, and the message is Christ. The world needs this. The world needs this eternal life, this eternal water that we have. What a wonderful picture that is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your kindness to us today. You are good. You are kind. You created a perfect environment for us. Undeserving. But it just shows your goodness. You're wise. Sometimes, Lord, we, we can't quite grasp what is good in our own life. Lord, help us to trust you. And Lord, help us to see what you do for us is good. We may not like it, but we can say, you know what? I, I trust God and whatever he brings upon my life, it is good. And I know that I can trust Him because He's a good God. May we dwell on these things and may it change our life today. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.